Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good morning Life Changes Church. Good morning family. Good morning friends. It's wonderful for us to be together this morning and before we open our Bibles and look at the scriptures concerning Jonah. What I'd like to do is firstly acknowledge those that have helped and served when we ran the Alpha course just recently. Could I ask all those that facilitated tables, served, helped with meals, counseled, all of that, if you could please just stand to your feet. Andrew at the back there. Wonderful. Now, I know there was a team of nearly 30 folk, and I think some have gone through to Milnerton, others come this evening, which we'll acknowledge. But what I'd like to do is publicly, on behalf of the elders, say thank you for your praying, for your caring, for your serving. And we've seen fruit, and we're trusting for ever-increasing fruit, for having helped us as a church and a community reach out to our community with the Alpha Course. And so I just want to say thank you to you guys. Let's give them a round. Sorry. Sorry. Wait, this morning we're going to be continuing with our series on the book of Jonah. I trust that you have read the book of Jonah a number of times. I trust that as you've been reading the book of Jonah... The Holy Spirit has been arresting your hearts and speaking to your hearts. And I'm trusting that as we go through this morning, the Holy Spirit will begin just to awaken something of mission inside of your hearts. Because I really do believe with all my heart that the times in which we're living, God is looking for every saint to stand up to the plate and be counted and get on mission as Jonah did. But before we read, I'd like us to pray together. Father, this morning, as we look into your precious word, Holy Spirit, I ask you to take the black print off the white pages and make it color to our hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask you that your voice would override my voice as I speak and address this congregation this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see and an obedient heart to follow after you, Jesus. Father, I pray and ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we look into the book of Jonah, I'd like us to read a portion of Scripture found in the book of Matthew looking at what Jesus spoke about the prophet Jonah. And to me, I always like to start with Jesus and finish with Jesus, and in between the start and finish, talk as much about Jesus as possible. Amen to that. I am an Ephesians 4 evangelist, so Jesus is central in everything I live and breathe and do. So I want us to read together Matthew chapter 12 from verse 38 to 41. It reads like this. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to Jesus, said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want to see a sign from you. And he answered, if you notice, Jesus was not very diplomatic in his response and reply to them. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation 
who asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. He says then, he continues, As for Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, so shall the, uh, and then it continues, the son of man, in, in verse 41, the, in the, in the, in the, the men of Nineveh will stand up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And then Jesus says this profound thing. And now someone greater than Jonah is here. I wonder what goosebumps went up and down their spines when Jesus concluded with that statement. And now someone greater than Jonah is here. Now you might say, well, what is that verse all about? You see, the Pharisees wanted a sign. They wanted a sign. Now, if you read the chapters before, there were numerous signs. Jesus had cast out the legion of demons from the madman of the Gadareans. He had raised a girl from the dead. He had healed the lepers. He, he gave sight to the blind and, and, and speech to the deaf. There were numerous miracles, but these religious leaders wanted Jesus to bemuse them and entertain them with another sign. And Jesus said to them, no sign will be given. In John 12, 37, it actually says this, that Jesus had done many miraculous signs in their presence, yet they did not believe. Now you might say, well, is God anti-signs? No, no, God is very much for signs and wonders. Throughout the Bible, you see a God of signs and wonders. And God wants signs, but signs that point to Him. Signs that magnify Him. Not signs that make one look good. Very important. In Mark chapter 16, it speaks about signs that will follow those who believe. See, they had unbelieving hearts. And I do believe we're living in a day and age where there is a dark cloud of doubt and unbelief and skepticism towards authentic God-given signs and wonders. I want to speak to your hearts and blow faith in them because I believe for us as a church to see transformation in communities and this world, we need to see the power of God manifested and demonstrated. It's not just going to be enough by great preaching. It needs to be accompanied by signs that point to a great God. Now, these signs are, are pro profound and powerful. But what Jesus was saying to these religious people, he was saying that these Ninevites that were Gentiles, they were outside of the covenant of God, they repented and responded when Jonah preached. Their hearts, as hard as they were, responded, but your hearts are hard as ever. So Jesus was drawing a parallel between the heart, which God always looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And we need to always ensure that we live like Jesus does. We live like the Father, looking at the heart of the matter. Because Jesus himself was the fulfillment of all the Bible prophecies that he was the Messiah. And he was standing in front of them, yet they refused to believe. They refused to respond to him. Now the gospel addresses the heart. Often man tries to change the outward, but the gospel deals with the heart. The wicked heart of man, the heart that has hardness, indifference, 
caused by religion or our own attempts to save us, or the reckless abandonment to selfishness and sinful living. Our heart is prone to wonder. Our heart is prone to be divided. But the gospel captures our hearts. The gospel changes our lives. In Ezekiel 11 verse 19, God says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I'll take out the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That's what the gospel does. And we need to continually be saying, God, I bring my heart before you. Because we live in a world that's wanting to conform us to its ways. And we need to continually be allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us. Now getting back to Jonah, Jonah was a reluctant prophet evangelist that lived plus or minus 800 years BC. And I want to say he was a reluctant prophet stroke evangelist because if you look what he did, he brought revival to a city. Jonah is a book about a gracious God and his relentless pursuit of those he loves. We need to see Jonah's story of bringing salvation to a whole city foreshadowed the gospel itself. Jonah's not just about a ride a person had in a whale, but a God of great love and compassion. Now when we look at the city of Nineveh, it was one of the oldest most populous cities in ancient Assyria. Interesting, it was situated on the east bank of the Tigris River opposite the city of Mosul in Iraq today. Now, if any of you follow world news, Mosul is, is a strategic city and has been attacked by the Syrian forces, the Iraqi forces, ISIS is there, and it's a major spot of conflict. And can you believe it? Nineveh was right there. Nineveh was right there. So when you watch Al Jazeera News or BBC News or CNN and you see Mosul fighting, think Nineveh, think Jonah, think, whoa. I remember two, three years ago we were in London and we went to London's National Museum of Antiquities and there was a particular section about Nineveh. And I stood there going, wow, God. You look at the clay tablets. They had arrows, they had spears, from and various different arts that they had excavated and were exhibiting in that museum. And I just think, wow, God, these are so old. And here they've been preserved. Now, Jonah was called into that context to preach to a godless Gentile city. They were outside of the covenant of God. And they had a reputation for idolatry, immorality, they were cruel, they were heartless. Now the big question is, why did God call Jonah to Nineveh? Why? Now we could look and have a look, but always the why is a big question God always asks us. And the, I've looked through different translations, and the one that I love best is Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, but from the message translation, and it brings, this, it brings the heart of God out beautifully. God said, they're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. God saw their wickedness, but he saw beyond their wickedness that there were 120,000 people far from him. God's heart wasn't there to, 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 to see them destroyed. God's heart is always initially to save and to redeem and bring people back into relationship with him.
Now you might think to yourself, well, well, why did Jonah run in the opposite direction? What did Jonah know that we didn't know? You see, when Jonah looked at the city of Nineveh, when he looked at the city of Nineveh, he saw going to Nineveh was like a suicide mission. Because he knew those Ninevites, if they did not repent, he would have been killed. He would have been killed. He would have been destroyed. He would have been taken out. It would have cost him his life. Jonah thought that running away from God would have been easier than facing his fears, his insecurities, and his prejudices. Jonah thought, let me get out of here. Let me just run. Isn't it interesting? Have you ever thought what holds you back from sharing your faith? What holds us back from just engaging with people, being friendly to people, being kind to people, just building a relational bridge? What holds us back? When you think in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus said you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The interesting thing, the word witness in the Greek is the word martyr. And a witness is one who is willing to give their lives in service for the king with the faith and belief that it's going to bring life to others. See, we give our life in service to the king, believing that the impact of our life will change other people's lives. That's the whole heart of the gospel. Now, the interesting thing is, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Jonah went to Joppa when he found a ship going to Tarsus, wanting to go the opposite direction. Now, it's interesting that Joppa in Bible times is today the modern city of Jaffa in Israel. It's interesting to go back and look at Bible names and see the city that's there today. It's interesting to think that that's in Israel. That's where Jonah actually wanted to catch a ship and and get out of here. But it's also interesting that in Acts chapter 10, plus or minus 840 years later, Peter was in the same city of Joppa where God spoke to him and gave him a vision of that sheet coming down. And remember all the unclean animals in it. And God said, rise up, kill and eat. And God was speaking to Peter that he was the one that had the mission to take the gospel to the Gentiles, those outside. 800 years prior to that, Jonah was there. And God was saying, Jonah, go to the Ninevites. They're Gentiles, but my heart is for them. My heart is for them. The gospel is for all people And we must not call anyone unclean whom God has made clean. Because God, I believe, wants to bring multitudes into his kingdom in these last days. Now, the beautiful thing, then 1 Timothy 1.11 describes the gospel as glorious. And so often we brandish that word glory around a lot with little understanding of really what it means and its application It's a multifaceted word that has massive reflections of who God is in both the macro and the micro details of its outworking. And I just had a look at that in the book of Jonah. God's greatness in the gospel is revealed in Jonah. And to me in Jonah, I see God's sovereignty, the way he rules and reigns over all things, that he's in control of the detail of things and the outcome of things. 
So you might be going through a storm and through challenges in life. You need to know that he reigns over all things. He's in control of the details and the outcome, providing we set our heart to love him. Providing we say, God, my life is in your hands. Firstly, in, in chapter 1, verse 2, Nineveh is called a great city. Not because of its architectural detail, but because of the people in it. Because of the people in it. 120,000 people who didn't know the difference between their left hand and right hand concerning evil. How they were prone to waywardness, but God was concerned about them. In chapter 1, verse 4, God speaks of a great wind, and in verse 12, a great storm. In other words, God's sovereignty over the elements and nature. You need to see in, in verse 16, after Jonah had been thrown overboard, which I'm sure you've read all before and has been preached before, it says the sailors greatly feared the Lord. I believe the end time church is going to be marked with an increased understanding and knowledge of what it means to biblically fear the Lord, of living with reverence and awe towards a great God who's sovereign and rules over all things. I believe God is wanting to restore that back to us. Then it speaks in chapter 2 verse 1 how God provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. A great fish to swallow Jonah. To me it's fascinating to have this massive whale at exactly the right place to swallow Jonah and God redesigned its migratory pattern and put a divine GPS in him to take him around to put Jonah back onto mission. Many of us could be running. God is wanting to do that. But not only that, as you read in chapter 4 about the vine, the worm, all to teach Jonah about getting over himself and getting back onto God's program of having a heart for people. But in chapter 3, verse 2, the Ninevites, when they heard Jonah preach, it says they believed God. They believed God. Can I say, I do believe that as we say yes and believe you, God, God can do anything. He really can. If there's a mustard seed of faith in our hearts and we say yes to him, we can see God's hand move in profound and powerful ways. And it says that they declared a fast, the fast of mourning, which is a sign of repentance for the way they'd lived. And I love it. It says from the greatest, the king, to the least. There was great conviction. Even the animals had sackcloth and ashes and mourned. I just think of dogs and cats. I've got a neighbor's cat that needs to put on sackcloth and ashes and repent for whining all night and neighbor's dogs for keeping me up. But it says from the king to the animals, which speaks to me their earnestness to do things God's way. And I really do believe that God is wanting to help us because I believe that what happened in Nineveh is a foreshadow of what God wants to do in cities around the world. If I think of this for a moment, help me with maths. Jonah was an individual person that went, and his chances of revival was one to 120,000 people. Odds are not that great. And if one person didn't repent, that one person could have taken him out. But he dared to believe God and get back on mission that caused revival. I believe what God did in Nineveh, he wants to do in the mega cities of this world.
I looked up what a mega city is. A mega city is where there are over 10 million people living in the metropolis of the area. And that's 10 million. Cape Town has, I think, five or six million people. And I began to think, God, Tokyo has 38.8 million. Shanghai, 35.5 million. Jakarta, 31.5. Seoul, 25.6. Beijing, 25. These are mega cities. Where is the Jonas? And I sense the Lord saying, Wally, it's not going to be a man. It's going to be churches. It's going to be churches that come together as one can make a difference for that city. I believe one of the signs of the end time is churches beginning to focus on what we have in common together, not what divides and separates us. And I believe that will bring such an empowering of those local churches together that can bring great revival to cities. Now the tragedy in chapter 4 verse 1, the Bible says, Jonah was greatly displeased. And I thought to myself, why Jonah? Why Jonah? Why Jonah? Because his reputation was at stake. Because he pronounced judgment, but then God brought revival. His being right was more important to him than revival. He was focused on himself instead of the bigger picture of what God wants to do in the earth. In fact, it went, he went into a pity party because in his head, he understood God's love and kindness and goodness, but he didn't understand that God delights more in mercy than in judgment. God wants to extend mercy. God wants to extend mercy. And I believe that the, the, the 1040 window in the Middle East is a window and a door of opportunity that God is opening up wide. I believe we need to begin to say, God, the cities of the earth, the cities of this world, Lord, we want to start praying and believing that Jonah churches begin to rise up and begin to be counted. Jonah's life became a God sign. Jonah's life became a God sign. As we read in Matthew, as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, prophetic of Jesus being three days in the tomb, both came back to life with a story to tell that changed lives. Jonah and Jesus, they both came back with a story to tell. We need to begin to allow our lives to be a God sign of Christ's transforming resurrection power. Both Jonah was speaking of resurrection, of Christ's resurrection. And I believe we celebrate eternal life. But Paul in the book of Ephesians speaks of a resurrection life that I believe he wants to bring his church into and with a deeper understanding of it. Jonah was a man literally raised from the dead after he repented. Likewise, I just allowed my imagination to go as I read the book of Jonah. And I could just imagine him being swallowed by this whale and being in this dark cavern thinking it's over, but still breathing. Thinking, what on earth am I doing here? Then the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon him because he was running in the wrong direction. I saw him as the first submariner, but the submarine he was in had no porthole and no periscope. 
Think about it. And then I let my imagination go a little bit further, and I thought what would have happened to him if he didn't repent? There was only one other way out of the whale. And I think the size of the whale helped in him coming to the place of repentance. Can I say to you, you can read chapter 2 of how he repented. He remembered God's goodness. He, he gave thanksgiving. He made promises and vows to God. And I could just imagine this whale thinking, I've eaten something and it's giving me indigestion. I'm eating something that's giving me indigestion. Now, I, I love National Geographic's. And, and I remember watching a documentary on orca whales. And how many of you watched those orca whales where they've spotted seal on the beach? And they sort of run up the beach, ground themselves, grab the seal, and then wiggle their way back into the ocean and disappear. Imagine what it must be like sitting on the beach, tanning, fishing, or just going for a walk. And that orca whale comes. How much more terrifying must it have been for those people just enjoying a chill afternoon on the beach? And this massive whale comes, and you hear the sounds of, and all of a sudden, a guy comes spitting out. Come on, that's how it is. It must have been terrifying. It must have been the most scariest thing. I don't know if I was on the beach and that happened. I wouldn't know whether to run, bury myself in the sand, lie there, play dead. I don't know. But that must have been terrifying. My own personal understanding that those people that were on the beach and witnessed Jonah's coming out of the whale's mouth followed Jonah to Nineveh. It's not in the Bible. This is my opinion. The reason being from where he landed on the beach to Nineveh was a few thousand kilometers. And for Jonah's authenticity to his story, there need to be others that said, yes, I was on the beach. And this massive six, ten-ton whale came and spat this guy out. You better listen to him. That's my understanding. Please give me license. But his preaching brought mass repentance. I believe repentance is not an old-fashioned term. I believe it's a New Testament language, it's a turn of around on the inside in our thinking towards God and away from what we're doing that is displeasing Him. I believe the Bible speaks without repentance, there's no life. So often we flirt with sin. We flirt with wrong attitudes. Sin is not just the outward thing. It's the thoughts and attitudes of our heart that we need to address and repent and lay that axe to it. In chapter 3, verse 9, the Ninevites say, Who knows? God may relent and have compassion on us. The awesome nature of who God is. And He did. He did. See, whenever there's repentance of heart, God moves towards them. From the one man on the, the cross with Jesus, he just said, sorry, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The moment there's a, a shift in our heart and our thinking towards God, God is there. See, initially, Jonah ran from God. Jonah ran from God. 
Then in the belly of the whale, he ran back to God. And then Jonah ended up running with God. And we need to see that if we could understand that, Mark, if you could get that slide there. Thank you. Jonah ran from God. He ran back to God. And then he ran with God. Now, I don't know where you are in relation to running with God. But I want to encourage you this morning to get on to what God is doing in the earth. Psalm 147 verse 15, it says, He sends His command to the earth. That's the gospel, the good news. It says His word runs swiftly. His word runs swiftly. In other words, there's pace to it. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says, Run in such a way as to get the prize. See, there is a prize. People's change lives and heaven filled with people. In the message translation, it speaks like this. Run with, every, with, run with purpose in every step. I love the thought behind it. Where in that normal NIV translation, it says, I don't run aimlessly, but run with purpose in every step. In other words, there's an urgency. In Galatians 5, 7 Paul says to the Galatian church, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? See, when Jonah initially heard the word, he disobeyed and ran in the wrong direction. God wants us to run in the right direction, obeying the truth. <clears throat> Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, let us run the race with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Each and every one of us have been assigned an area of influence marked out for us. And we need to live a life of the gospel, sharing the gospel. I believe there is a race against time. I watch the news and I look up with my Bible. And I look and I see the massive chaos that's in the world on all fronts. From the wars, refugees, global warming, floods and famines economies are reeling under pressure. Terrorism. There's a situation of hopelessness, fears, and disillusionment. I want to say, where's the church? Have Christ and the answer, and we're marking time. I want to encourage you and urge you that God is wanting us to stand up and be counted. We sing that song, Arise and Shine. God wants us to become a people that live with urgency in our hearts. Jonah started as a, had a reluctant start, but ended a radical sign. Jonah started reluctantly, but ended in a radical sign. God, God wants our lives to be a sign as we run together with him. Signs generally fall into three categories. Firstly, they are informational. They are informational about who God is. Secondly, they are directional. They are directional to who Jesus is. And then thirdly, they are warning of what would happen if we don't respond. God wants our lives to be signs of who God is. And then directing people to Jesus. And then cautioning them if they don't respond appropriately. Was last week I played squash with a, with a friend and met him there. I hadn't seen him for a while. I think Quentin might know him. And I've, been, I've shared the gospel with him in 101 ways. I'm asking God for 102 ways. But still just 
not interested, not interested. I said, Tony, I haven't seen you around for a while. So what's happened? He says, whoa, well, you won't believe. I've, I've had a, a, my retina detach from my eye, and I'm half blind in my one eye, and I've got carpal tunnel, and I, I'm struggling to hold the racket. And he says, next week I'm going in for prostrate treatment because they've discovered cancer. And I said to him, Tony, I've shared with you the gospel and God's love. Is, but how much more needs to happen for you to turn to Jesus and receive his love and forgiveness? He says, I don't know, Wally. I said, Tony, I'm not going to stop praying, going in for the up tomorrow. Tony, I'm trusting for a successful up, but an equally a heart transplant within you towards God. There needs to come a time where we speak honestly and truthfully with people because of the urgent times in which we're living. Time is running out. There is a glorious gospel God wants us to herald. I'm going to conclude with this. Is Jonah is an amazing character in the Bible of how we can, should, shouldn't do things. But Jonah's name means dove. His name means dove. A powerful emblem of Holy Spirit who empowers us to live on mission. We all know in Luke chapter 3 verse 22 as well as in Matthew 3.16 concerning the baptism of Jesus when the heavens opened, the Father spoke, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came and settled upon Jesus. And that was the start of Jesus' three-year mission into the world. In John chapter 1, verse 32, the same element comes out. John says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on Him. There's an abiding of the Spirit of God within the believer, propelling them forward into mission. I do believe that as we understand we're in Christ, Christ is in us, John 17, His Spirit within us, as we begin to start living from the inside out, not the outside in, He'll move us more into mission. Can I say, when we start reaching out to the ones and the twos and the threes, and that effect has a compounding effect and can impact so many people. As some of you this morning, you're running from God. My urgent appeal to you is stop, turn back to God. If you're in the belly of the whale, repent and cry to God and renew your vows. Andrew, a dear friend of mine who's sitting in the balcony, when you've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro a number of years ago, he was going to die from all sorts of lung and challenges from altitude sickness. He cried out to God, made vows to God. He fulfilled those vows. He's serving God passionately today. Can I say God wants us to be a people living on mission? Jonah had his issues. You read them in Jonah chapter 4. The best way to get over your issues is get on to God's program, and he sorts you out on the journey, on the way. As we close this morning, I'm very aware of Holy Spirit and the dove in his presence that wants to freshly empower us to be men and women running with God on his program and plan. I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit's presence to refresh, to fill, and to empower us forward into all that he has for us. Now, some of you are facing difficulties. Can I say, put them aside and begin to say, God, there's a bigger plan.
their cities and nations. They need to hear the gospel of a great God, a loving Father, a Son who gave His life that we could have life and then live in the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, if you want to remain seated as I pray, that's cool. Some of you want to stand. Some of you might want to kneel. Some of you might just want to raise your hands. Whatever the posture of your heart is, just keep it open to receive. I want you to pause a moment before I pray and ask yourself, what am I running from? Where am I running to? Am I running with you, Lord? Is my life a sign? Being able to point to Jesus. And I believe there's a, a deeper surrender that God wants to bring to us that we can run together with Him. Holy Spirit, I ask you now to flood our hearts and our lives. Holy Spirit, without your empowering of our lives, mission is impossible. But Holy Spirit, with you, mission is an adventure. Holy Spirit, I ask you, as Jonah's name means dove, Holy Spirit, dove, settle, fresh and fill our lives. That as we step out of these doors, we're stepping into mission, into harvest fields. Holy Spirit, I pray, make Jesus real to each and every one. Make the glories of the gospel burn within our hearts. The Father who's so tender, so dear, so loving, real to us. Lord, I pray that. I pray, Holy Spirit, fill our lives. Fill our lives. Just allow your life right now to be freshly filled and empowered by His Holy Spirit. Those that want to stand, sit, kneel, whatever posture, but just receive from Him now. And He'll begin to lay on your heart people. He'll begin to lay on your heart cities. Surely in the last year, 10 past 2 every day, she's got an alarm set to pray for Europe, for the immigrants, for the, for, for the, the Arabic world. And no matter what we do, whether we're having a late lunch or we're driving, we stop, we pray, we pray, we pray. And in our praying, we say, Lord, if you want us to go, here we are. God wants us to have his heart for the world. Holy Spirit, help us to pray for the world as you want us to. Why don't we just stand together? And if there's a nation, if you come, if you descendant from another country, why don't we just pray for that country, pray for that capital? Father, we just want to raise our voice for this world, Lord, this morning. Lord, a world you so deeply and dearly love. Lord, a world where you look at and, Lord, your heart reaches out to them. Father, I pray this morning, begin to awaken within us 
a deep, deep desire to have your heart for all people, for all nations. Lord, you arrested Jonah. You arrested Peter. Lord, arrest our hearts, Lord. Arrest our hearts, Lord. Lord, we cried for those mega cities of the world, Lord, where people are living in such sin they forget how to blush. Lord, I ask you, begin to awaken us to pray more and be willing to go. Father, I ask you this morning, I ask you this morning for that. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, thank you for Cape Town. Thank you for Cape Town, Lord. Thank you for just the wonderful diversity of people in this amazing city in which we live, Lord. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for Cape Town. Thank you for our suburbs, Lord. Jesus, use us to see change come. Let our lives be neon signs, Lord, wherever we go for you, Lord. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be a praying people for all nations of the earth, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.